As I begin, I want to thank Tom for asking, uh, inviting me to preach today, a, uh, serving as his proxy, as it were, a sermon I know he enjoys giving. Tom enjoys preaching every Sunday, but uh, I know he enjoys giving this sermon in which he asks, do we love Christ more this year, now, than we did at this point last year? Uh, and I also want to uh, congratulate Tom and Carol, wherever they're sitting, they're here, uh, on their 29th wedding anniversary today, uh, and thank them for their marriage, uh, which is a witness to Christ in our lives. Uh, you bear witness to Christ's love for the church, and you're excellent models for us to follow Christ, married or not, you're excellent models for us. Because it's true that we imitate those we love and respect. Whether we know it or not, we imitate people we spend a lot of time with. And the more, more time we spend with people, generally, we imitate them more because we love them more. Uh, so I married an Irish Guatemalan woman. And this means uh, that my taste for spicy food has increased because she likes spicy food. So in our three years of marriage, I like spicy food more. And that's a trite, silly way to say that I've taken on some of her preferences, her likes, her dislikes, her mannerisms, her sense of humor. There are, you should know, far more important aspects of her character and personality that have shaped me in our marriage, like her kindness and, and honesty. Uh, but it's true that I imitate her more now because I love her more now. Uh, because the more we, time we spend with a person, generally, uh, we learn to love them more. And I hope we can say that in our marriages, our friendships, our child-parent relationships, our employee-employer relationships. I know that's not always true. But generally speaking, those we respect and love, we imitate so I chose this text today because Tom asked this time of year every year, do I love Christ more now than I did last year? Do you love Christ more now than last year? I chose this text because I think it gives us some guidelines on thinking through how we can answer that question. Because when we ask the question, do we ask one another, do you love Christ more this year? We may stop and go, well, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly even what that means. Is it only an emotional thing that I love Christ more? Is it only a, you know, I'm serving on this committee thing that I love Christ more? So this text, I think, gives us criteria, guidelines, in context in which we can answer that question, do I love Christ more? Because this text shows us that if we indeed love Christ more this year, we will have greater affections for Him that show in our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions, and in our relationships. In this text, I think we see that if we love Christ more, that means we are first seeking to imitate God, our Heavenly Father. And we do that second by living sacrificial, forgiving lives for one another, just as Christ did for us. I'll restate that. In this text, I think we see that if we love Christ more this year, right now, we're seeking to imitate God, our Father. Secondly, we're doing that by living sacrificial, forgiving lives for one another as Christ did for us. 
and that one another is key because when I ask the question, do you love Christ more this year? I also have to ask the question, do we as a body love Christ more this year? Our individual, our private, our personal love for Christ will shape necessarily our corporate love for Christ. Or our lack of love for Christ will shape our corporate lack of love for Christ. They go together. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5, 1-2, we'll see those two parts of the text that we seek to imitate God and we do that by living sacrificial, forgiving lives for one another as Christ did for us. I'll read Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And I hope you'll keep your Bibles open as I'll point us to other passages in Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a fragrant aroma. This text begins with be imitators of God therefore in our English Bibles therefore is typically the first word so we need to consider when we see a therefore we have to do some investigative work you know that you have to look at what came before to know what Paul says when he says therefore Paul has other truths in mind when he commands be imitators of God he has other truths in mind are the reasons and the rules for new life in Christ. The reasons and the rules for new life in Christ is what Paul has in mind when he says, therefore, be imitators of God. This text, chapter 5, 1 and 2, actually should be read with the previous section, verses 25 through 32 of chapter 4. So this is one of those cases where the chapter divisions aren't super helpful for us. Because I think chapter 5, 1 and 2 goes with primarily what's come before. And what's come before, Paul has laid out some rules, some commands for what it looks like to live new life in Christ. To put away falsehood, he says, we should speak the truth with one another and not lie. We should be angry and not sin, not let the sun go down on our anger or give a place at the table for the devil. We should not steal. Most of us, I don't think, are shoplifting, but at work, We should work honestly and not take hours from our employer playing, I was going to say playing solitaire, but that's pretty old, doing Facebook and whatever we might do. We should not have corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only that talk that is uplifting, building up for the body. As fits the occasion. We should not grieve the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit sealed us for the day of redemption. And we should let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away. We should be peaceful, gentle, loving people. Kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave us. And that last piece, forgiving one another, is especially key. I think we'll see in chapter 5, verse 2. So when Paul says, therefore, he has these rules in mind. But these rules are... Only true because of the reasons we have new life in Christ. Those reasons come primarily in chapters 1-3 to of Ephesians. Where Paul lays out the great work God has done in Christ. Of saving us in Christ. Of adopting us. Of electing us. Of redeeming us. Of sealing us by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Of reconciling the church 
once Jew and Gentile, now one body, and all of creation in Christ. He says in Ephesians 1.10 that God the Father is heading up, He's summing up all things in Christ. So if we want to understand our lives, other people's lives, history, anything, we need to know Christ. So the reasons for new life give way to, they inform rules for new life in Christ. So if we're going to be imitators of God, we need to know that Paul says, therefore, he has in mind these rules which are based on these reasons for new life in Christ. But still, when we read verse 1, chapter 5, which says, be imitators of God, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're intimidated. If not uh, unsure, if not wondering if Paul is setting up setting us up for a, an experiment doomed to fail. To be imitators of God who created everything, who's our judge, the judge of history, we should imitate Him. So is this an impossible, absurd command from Paul? Because there's passages like Psalm what, 13, 5 and 6, says, who is like our God seated on high? The expected answer to that passage, that verse, is no one. No one is like our God on high. God is high and holy, seated in the heavens. He created everything. He will judge everything. He created you and me. And you and I are sinners. We're separated from God's holiness because of sin. Even Christians who've been made new in Christ, which is what Paul's talking about, we still sin. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say, put away lies, put away anger. So how can it be that we are to imitate God? This is not, however, an impossible or an absurd command. This is a good, it's a wise, it's a true command for at least a couple reasons. First, if we are in Christ, we can imitate God because we are the new humanity on earth. Christians, those in Christ, are new humans. If you look back, to chapter 4, verses 17 to 24 talk about the new life. No longer walk as Gentiles in the futility of their minds. He says, because that's not the way you learned Christ. And he says in verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And verse 24 is key. And to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Created after the likeness of God. That's Genesis 1, 26-28 language. Where, remember, God created humans as His image and likeness. He created Adam and Eve as His image and likeness on earth and put us on earth to be His representatives and His worshipers. To demonstrate His character to one another and to all of creation. And his character is uh, made clear, made explicit in Exodus 34, 6-7. And if you don't know this text, I'd encourage you to, to know it. If you, don't do, if you don't memorize scripture, I'd encourage you to memorize at least this text. Where Moses is on the mountain, Israel is sinned at the bottom of the mountain, and God is going to reveal his character to Moses. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, God tells his name to Moses. 
The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That list of characteristics of compassion and mercy, of steadfast love, which Keith prayed about, his prayer was about steadfast love, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, and his justice. Those character traits were supposed to be lived out in God's humans, in his creation, in us, in Adam and Eve. That was, that's the idea for humanity. But we know that humans, Adam and Eve, sinned, rebelled against God, his word and his ways. So God had to send a new human, Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, to redeem mankind, to bring us back to God. As 1 Peter 3.18 says, the, the righteous, Jesus Christ, for the unrighteous, us, we sinners, to bring us to God. So when Paul writes this letter to Ephesians, he reminds the Ephesians that they, if they are in Christ, if they have been redeemed in Christ, they are new humans made to look like God on earth. It's like a wax seal and a king would his ring, put his ring on that wax seal and that wax seal would seal the envelope and take the message to his kingdom to know that this is from the king. We're supposed to be that, that wax seal on earth reflecting God to the rest of creation, to one another. So Paul's command to imitate God is, is true and good and wise because we are his new humanity on earth. Also, Christians can, secondly, and should imitate God because we are part of his new family. So we're not just new humans living about however we please, separate from one another in our own apartments and homes, but we're actually a family, the family of God. We are, as Paul says, as beloved children, imitators of God. How deep the Father's love for us, we sing, that He would make us sinners His children. We are, just a few ways we can consider our childhood to God, we're, be we're beloved children because of His adoption of us. Ephesians 1, 4-6 says, He, God the Father, chose us in Him, Jesus the Son, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. We're part of God's family because He chose us, because He chose His Son, His beloved Jesus Christ. We are beloved because His Son, Jesus, the Messiah, is most beloved. So we're adopted. We're, we're strangers brought into a family because of Jesus Christ. Because God set His love on Him. He set His love on us. We're also beloved children because of our redemption in Christ. Ephesians 2, 4-6 says, But God, this is after Paul, remember Paul has talked about, you were once dead in trespasses and sins. So we, all of us, to be human is to be created in the image of God, but it's also to now be sinful and fallen, separated from God. 
but Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We know that we're because of Christ Jesus, we're supposed to consider our home in heaven right now already with Christ Jesus where he is seated at the right hand of God. That's where Paul says we are. Not fully, not finally, not permanently. But that's where we are because of the Father's great love for us. So we're His beloved children. Once sinners, now beloved children. One author, Jason Hood, who wrote a book called Imitating God in Christ, because this idea of imitation is all over the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters. Jason Hood says, Redemption has turned slaves into children and mud-covered urchins into mirrors who begin to look like their father. So when I ask, do you love Christ more this year? Do I love Christ more? Do we love Christ more this year? We must remember that our affections, our love for Christ, they are governed, they're determined by God's affections for us. God has set His love on us, on you and me. Contrary to everything in me and everything about me. Contrary to my pride and my ignoring you and whatever else may be, God has set His love on me. God has set His love on you in Christ. And God's affection for you, for us as His church, determines, that governs our affections for Christ. Henry Skugel, who was a 17th century Scottish Puritan, uh, wrote a book about the life of God and the soul of man. says, No thing is more powerful to engage our affection than to find that we are beloved. No, no, nothing will transform our way of being in this world than to know that we're loved. And we can look around and see relationships, marriages, children, a wreck because of a lack of love in their lives. But if a child is loved, will not be perfect, but he or she will, will have security and safety and comfort and confidence to move in this world. The God of the universe has done that to us, for us. So when we ask, do we love Christ more? Do you love Christ more? Also ask, do we know and enjoy God's love for us in Christ? Do you know that love? Do you know God, the creator and judge of the universe, as Father? That love should shape and transform us. And as we look back at 2014 and look forward to 2015, even as we look forward to tomorrow, that love of God the Father on us should transform us. And so we seek to imitate His love. Verse 2 tells us how we imitate God. Verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. We love, we're loving Christ more if we walk in love as Christ loved us. And this walking metaphor is key to this section of Ephesians. You can sometimes, not always, tell how a 
person is feeling, how their day is going by the way they're walking. If I'm walking shoulders held high, chest out, making eye contact, I'm confident and maybe mostly having a good day. If my head stooped low, I'm not looking at you, walking slowly, not having a great day. That's, that's not a firm rule, that's generally true. But Paul uses this walk metaphor to explain what it looks like to follow Christ. A disciple, a follower of Christ, one who learns after Christ, who follows him in the way Jesus walked in the world. Paul uses this walking metaphor, like in Ephesians 4.17, he encourages us to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of minds. So no longer walk as sinful people. Walk as people made new, which is what he says in Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So our lives, our daily lives, our day-to-day, our tomorrows, our next years, should look more and more like Christ's walk in this world. And how can we say that? How do we know that? I think it's because of one little word, one small word in this text. And walk in love as, or just as, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That small word, just one word in Greek, it's one or two words in English, as or just as. It's, I think it's the key to our understanding and applying this text, applying our lives to it. Because in this as, we, I think we learn that Christ is both the comparison and the cause for our walk in love. So this sounds like a comparison. Christ died for you, walk like that. But we'll also see that Christ's death is the cause. It's the reason why we can walk like Christ in this life. First, Christ is the comparison for our imitating God. We should look to Jesus Christ. If we want to see how to imitate God the Father, the creator and judge of the universe, we need to look to Jesus Christ. There are four Gospels in our Bibles to testify to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. To testify to his birth, to his death, and everything in between, and the resurrection after. So are you paying attention when Tom preaches the Gospel of Matthew? It's a good way to see how Christ lived. Matthew's narrated it for us. If we want to look to Jesus Christ to know how he lived, we have to look chiefly at his death. Paul's talking primarily here about his death. He loved us. And he gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So we need to look to Jesus Christ's death to know how we're to live. That should shape the way we live. It's ironic. A death shapes our life. Paul talks about this though all over the place. I die each day, he talks about in 2 Corinthians. So as Christ laid down his life freely, willingly, we lay down our lives freely, willingly for one another. That's how we're to live. I think, though, if we want to understand how that works, how it looks in daily life to lay down our lives freely, we have to look also at the way Christ lived, as I just said, that's recorded in the Gospels. Because Jesus' first breath and his last breath were planned at the same time. His first breath and his last breath were, they interpret one another. 
Jesus' life was lived in anticipation of his death. We see that in the Gospels in Matthew and Mark and Luke when he three times predicts his death. Jesus knew what was coming and he lived it anyway. He went to the cross anyway. But his death also makes sense of his life. His death makes sense of his life. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection makes sense of his sinless life. Because Jesus was not some martyr who was almost sinless. He was not just a charitable guy. He was totally sinless. Perfectly righteous before God. But he died a criminal's death on the cross because he willingly, freely gave up his life. And that matches what he'd done throughout his whole life. He gave up his place in glory to become a child, a baby. I was struck this week, I don't know if it was 3 a.m. or 3 p.m., but holding my daughter, it dawned on me that the king of the universe, my savior, was once her size. Christ's humility to come as a child. It's what we've just celebrated. I was also struck this week that Christ was only maybe a year older than I am when he laid down his life. We would say he was cut down in his prime. There's so much more he could have done on earth. He could have healed so many more people. He could have called more disciples. But from his first breath to his last, Christ was giving. He was laying down his life. And he did it every day as he taught his disciples who didn't understand or believe him. As he healed others, he poured out his own power. As he challenged unbelievers, Christ was giving. He was laying down his life. So our lives should look like Christ's life. That's, he's the comparison. He is the standard. He is the model we follow. But Christ can only be the standard. He can only be our model because He died for us. Christ is therefore also the cause for our imitating God. Our walk in love. We can imitate God only because Christ laid, his life, laid down His life for us, for you and me. And Jesus' cross, verse 2 says, was pleasing to His Father. Just as Jesus' life was pleasing to His Father, His death pleased His Father. These words, offering, sacrifice, fragrant aroma, these are Old Testament words that describe the giving of a sacrifice in Leviticus in which a worshiper took his offering to tabernacle or temple and gave his offering freely, willingly, in faith for the forgiveness of their sins and in love under no compulsion. That's how the sacrifices were supposed to be given. Christ did that on the cross. For us, no man takes his life. No man took his life. The Romans didn't take it. The Jews didn't take it. Christ went to the cross willingly. He laid it down freely, out of love. 
And because of that, God is pleased. This is the heart of Christianity. So we just three days ago celebrate Christ's birth, His incarnation, His taking on our sinful flesh. We have to immediately look forward to His death for us. And it pleased His Father. John Piper says this very well, I think. This verse means God loves Christ's love for you. God the Father loves Christ's love for me. God is pleased. And this should root us every day. This should ground our feet and give us confidence to pray to God even when we sin. Because my acceptance before God doesn't depend on me. It's God's love for His Son, Jesus Christ, that He's poured out on us. He's pleased with His Son. And if we are in Him by faith, through grace, God is our Father. We are His beloved children. And He is pleased. So the pattern of our lives must and can conform to the pattern of Christ's life and especially His death. Because He is our model and He's also our cause for our life of righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4.24 Righteousness and holiness should increase in our lives. Paul knew this truth. Paul was gripped by this truth. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, as he's describing his apostleship to the Galatians, and why his gospel should be believed above any other message, Paul testifies, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. That truth shaped, it transformed Paul's life. From the road to Damascus where God, Jesus Christ, blinded him because he was going to make him suffer to be the apostle to the nations. Paul then lived a cross-shaped life thereafter. Was he a perfect, sinless? No. But he lived his life preaching the gospel, taking on lashes as 2 Corinthians talks about. Suffering, untold sufferings. Because Christ had died for him. Had given up his life for him. That's the logic of our lives. That we give up our lives for one another. And this should transform not just a single relationship, not just our relationship with God, not just our feelings about Him, but our relationships with one another. This second half of Ephesians is laced with truths that should help us diagnose whether our lives look more like Christ's life now than they did this time last year. And therefore, if we love Christ more now than this time last year. Just some diagnostic questions from the book of Ephesians. You can try to scribble these down. If you don't get them down, just please ask me. I can send this to you. How do we know we love Christ more this year? We need to look at our affections, our loves, but also at our actions. Have we grown in putting sin to death? 
Have I grown in hating sin and hating anger and hating my pride and trying to put it off, put off the old self, Paul says? Have we grown in forgiving others as God and Christ forgave us? This may be the chief idea Paul has in mind when he says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, we're supposed to imitate that, his forgiveness. Because, yes, God had it planned before the foundations of the earth, but Christ could have, realistically, in the garden, walked away, the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed. And when he felt it coming, the suffering of our sins, of my sin, of your sin, on him. But he laid his life down because he forgave us. Do we do that for one another? Have we grown in sacrificing for others as Christ sacrificed for us? Do I give my time away for your benefit? Do you give your finances, your resources away for others' benefit? Starting in the church and then outward to our neighbors, to the world. Wives, are you growing in your submission, your love for Christ as you submit to your husbands? Do you desire to follow your husband, not because your husband's become all of a sudden a great guy, unlike any other man in this world, but because Christ loved you and gave up his life for you? Husbands, Are we growing in our submission to Christ, our love for Him, as we love our wives? It's the same word in Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. I am supposed to give up my life for my bride. So are we laying down our interests, our hobbies, our pride, our need to be right, Because she should submit. Our careers, our time, and even perhaps our bodies, our lives. Do we desire to lay those down for her? So that she will see the beauty of Christ. Children, are you growing in your obedience to your parents out of love for Christ? This calls calls you to know Christ and His love for you. If you do, child, children, we must lay down our lives in obedience to our parents because God put them there to parent us. Employees, if we work for someone, and I look around the room and I think every single one of us does work for someone. Are we submitting to Christ? Are we loving Christ more in the way that we submit to our employer? Even in a a rule we disagree with. Now if it's unjust, we can talk about that. But if it's a rule we disagree with, we dislike. Or are we laying down our time, not making that order for Christmas, but actually doing this task our boss has given us. Because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Finally, 
and I think this is, goes unstated or assumed far too often, do we pray to know God's love for us? Paul did. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. He prayed that the Ephesians would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So if our love is waning this year, if we love Christ less, ask, have we prayed to know Christ's love? Have we prayed to know the love of God for us in Christ Jesus? So, to review, if we love Christ more this year, it means we have greater affections and desires for Him that necessarily show in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our relationships. It means we're seeking to imitate God. We actually look at God in Christ and we say, I need to be like that. And we do that by living sacrificial, forgiving lives for one another as Christ laid down His life for us. And I would just add on that we must pray to do this because we can't do this on our own. It's God's Spirit that moves in us to remind us of Christ, to root our love in Him so that we can look to the Father and know we're His beloved children. In closing, I want to ask one more question. So in asking one question, I've asked lots. And if you want those questions, just ask me and I can send them to you. We must ask ourselves one more question. When we ask, do I love Christ more? Do we love Christ more? We must ask, or do I love myself more? This year, do you love Christ more or yourself more? Right now, versus this time last year. Because we will love one another as Christ loved us only if we love Him more than ourselves. We'll love one another as Christ loved us only if we put His glory, His significance, above our own. We'll love one another as Christ loved us only if we consider His name and His priorities as more important than ours. We will love one another, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave us only if we take God at His word that He has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. That He has atoned for our sins for every sin. We will love one another as Christ loved us only if we love His love more than anyone else's. Do we want God's love more than anyone else's love? So today, tomorrow, the next day, all of 2015 and the rest of our lives, we must focus on Christ and glorify Christ above all of His creation, including ourselves, if we are going to walk like Christ. And this is why Christ died. It's why He was born. It's why He lived. It's why He died and was resurrected to send His Spirit so that we can live this way now. Christ who lived and died for us then is he's worthy to be praised above all. So do you today? Do we together? I think this truth, this text causes us to do many things. As Beck and I talked about this week, most of us are mixed bags. In some ways I love Christ more. In some relationships and others, no. I don't. So we need to give thanks to God for our increased loves for Him, but also repent 
to fall on our knees before Him and ask Him for mercy. To be reminded of God's great love for us in Jesus Christ who laid His life down for us. And to pray for greater love. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's what I want us to do now. We'll pray silently. We'll close. Uh, and as we pray silently, I want to just to consider God's great love for you in Jesus Christ who laid down His life for you. And after we pray silently, an elder will come and close us in prayer. Let's pray.